Okay, I'll spend a couple of minutes on outlining my approach to this webinar. And uh, as uh, Vivek uh, rightly said, you know, you can just post your questions and I'll try and answer them to the best of my ability as we go along. Uh, when uh, we look at managing the uncertainty in this entire space of construction service contracts and infrastructure development, including real estate uh, and real estate, there are several aspects. Uh, the first and foremost is that the uncertainty continues. Okay, and uh, after listening to the honourable finance minister for a couple of uh, a couple of uh, hours in the evening, and the comments that came thereafter, I felt that you know uh, we still have to wait for another two, three, four, five days to figure out uh, if there is any certainty in terms of way forward in terms of government policy particularly when it comes to hardcore issues, which we will discuss today. So what I've done is I've tried to uh, accumulate as much inputs as possible from industry players, uh, as well as a lot of literature that is available, uh, contemporary literature that is available on, on, on the situation uh, by uh, talking as well as accessing uh, various data points. Uh, Talking to my colleagues in Thailand, as well as other uh, uh, service providers, developers, etc., and data points being, you know, what is profusely available on the net as well as uh, YouTube in terms of earlier webinars. I've tried to make sense of how do we how do we work practically in this in this in this environment because that's what uh, perhaps would add value to all of us. So uh, the discussion will be around the following points. One is, uh, you know, the macro situation, which uh, which I'll come to more towards the end. And the other is uh, the micro situation, which is divided in two parts, external and internal. Within internal, uh, how are companies dealing with the situation? Uh, how are they, uh, you know, wading, I would say, carefully uh, through this whole scenario? And what do they expect to see uh, the light and and what light do they see at the end of the so there'll be nine points that i'm trying to uh, put across to all of you the first is to assess customer risks because it all starts there and also the markets in which our customers are operating uh, so that you get a good idea as to uh, what is a customer risk vis-a-vis -vis the market as well the second point is clearly the renegotiation and the clarity on the contractual arrangements. And most of us would be having contracts with our customers in one form or the other. And what is the contractual clarity that is emerging? Uh, that will be a lot of discussion around force major doctrine of frustration, change in law, contingent contracts, material adverse changes, etc., etc. So we'd spend about seven to ten minutes on that because that is a significant portion of leading up to the next uh, next data point which is interpreting the consequences of lockdown so you you've assessed the customer risk you've assessed the markets in which the customer is operating you've assessed the clarity that emerges or rather the clarity that one should seek from the contracts and that leads to assessing the real consequences of the lockdown in terms of costs in terms of loans and in terms of other aspects of the uh, commercial uh, issues that are involved. And then we look at the framework of how do we 
capture all these data points and what do we do with that? We move on to the moratorium uh, provisions that exist and the way the moratorium is being interpreted in, in the real life place by banks, by customers and so on. The resultant cash flows leads us to a discussion on the capital structure, renegotiation of the loan agreements and the plethora of stuff that was announced today. Uh, which is very relevant when we discuss capital structure and we discuss the loan arrangements that will that will come up of course uh, then we look at uh, the whole uh, gamut of uh, the uh, the consolidating all these aspects uh, for us to make the decisions to move forward so that is roughly the contours of what we are going to discuss over the next uh, hour or so Starting with customer risk, I think the first starting point is to take uh, rewrite the profile of our customers. Uh, for each contract that we have and for each customer that we have, we create a, a, a spreadsheet, if you will, which puts down the financial capacity of the customer, the financial capacity of the, uh, the financial uh, capability of the customer, the market in which the customer is operating and the vulnerability of the customer to that market. And uh, you would readily start forming a certain picture in your mind as to how much of the customer is at risk vis-a-vis -vis your business. If the customer is at severe risk, the example, you're operating, uh, you know, the my cross-section of discussions with, uh, with uh, colleagues in the industry is that, look, if you're operating with the government, it's only a deferment that we are talking about. We are not talking about a contract uh, closure. If you are dealing with a private sector, the chances of contract closure are higher, depending on where you are on the supply chain and how you are being negotiated. So the entire gamut of customer risk will involve time extension, although today's announcements is very significant, but a six-month time extension is almost uh, definite for all those who are dealing with the government and central public sector enterprises. So at least the time issue is out of the way. Then we come to cost reimbursement during this period. Uh, we've all been bound by the National Dis Disaster Management Act and consequently we are liable to pay the wages and the directives under the act, although it's being challenged in, in, in some courts and some courts have given a directive saying that look you have to follow. Some may not be able to follow because of sheer money not being available, but those are all different, different data points in the industry. But the fact is that you need to get it reimbursed, if, if whether you will get it reimbursed or not. Uh, my uh, interactions with the industry is that government customers are considering reimbursement. Some, particularly large customers like Metro Rail, etc., in certain cities have already reimbursed. Uh, customers like uh, oil and gas, ONGC, etc., have already reimbursed. But uh, some have reimbursed parts, some re have reimbursed 70%, 60%, none have reimbursed the full amount. So there is an element of uh, uncovered outflows if you have re reimbursed fully and you have not been able to get the return. So there is then the, the so then, uh, so we spoke of time extension, we spoke of cost reimbursement. There is an aspect of price revision uh, because a whole lot of stuff will change and here it becomes really difficult uh, because uh, supply chains are going to get disrupted and therefore there are going to be impact 
on costs. Uh, the uh, entire process of uh, mob, demob, you have demobilized, you have to mobilize again. Uh, you know, machineries need to be brought back. Machineries which are stuck in the middle need to be moved to the sites. Uh, if there are imports, they are lying at the port, demerage uh, being incurring demerage may or may not be. Way. There can be a number of permutation combinations of costs uh, that are not linked directly to wages, but uh, will involve a significant uh, number when it when you look at impact on the uh, cost per se, notwithstanding the time extension. Uh, on in terms of materials, uh, commodities like cement, uh, I understand is is cement prices have not come down. Uh, there has been some cartelization there. Uh, steel prices are down, which is which is uh, plus. Oil prices we all know are, are are the same level or maybe a little higher. So at the end of the day, the whole gamut of uh, you know price revision that is needed uh, towards costs uh, going up because of the time extension or coming down, one has to assess it holistically and then make a claim on the customer. Uh, then we come to another aspect, which is basically specs revision. You may have to revise the specs, particularly on real estate projects, uh, depending on which stage the project is in, whether it's in design stage, whether it's in procurement stage, whether it's in construction phase, whether it's in the phase of erection or commissioning, depending on which stage the project has stopped, you have to recalibrate and reassess the costs, and then that comes up with a whole new change of uh, uh, specs because you now want to make the buildings contactless. Uh, you want to improve the safety aspects during construction. Uh, you want to incorporate a lot of design changes in terms of movement of people, whether if it's in a building or is uh, or it's in it's in it's in a workspace. Uh, so there can be again number of permutation combinations there. So they, the specs could be revised and finally resulting in what is commonly known as change of scope. So the entire uh, process of assessing customer risk, uh, the markets that you operate in, as well as uh, the resultant contract, if I can coin that word, the lifting, post lifting of lockdown, there will be a, it is a new normal as they say, and the new normal will also be a change in contract. It may not be so applicable in uh, projects like roads, railways, etc., but it will definitely become very relevant in metros, uh, real estate projects, uh, whether it's commercial or leisure or entertainment or, or residential. So this whole gamut of customer risk, the markets in which the customer is operating uh, and the situation around customers will need uh, Will need will need a a, a a proper assessment. You park this. You make that assessment and you park it after synthesizing the cost and the price impact. And that's that's very very important. You synthesize the price impact because that is going to be your revenue stream. You synthesize the cost impact because that is going to be your cost stream. And you have to bring it down on a spreadsheet and uh, keep adding modules and modifying these costs with separate line items on the spreadsheet and they will keep changing depending on the progress of your negotiations which brings us to the next item which is renegotiating 
a contract and seeking clarity. What clarity do we need to seek on? Let's spend a little bit of time and we'll spend about five, eight minutes on, on, on this topic. First of all, I think it's now very categorical and even based on today's announcement by the finance minister that this period will be considered under force major. Now, having declared it as, an, as a force major item, who will bear the cost arising out of this force major? Uh, it is it is now more or less clear based on the interpretation of force major across contracts, whether it's explicitly mentioned or implied, that very few contracts can be terminated because of the COVID pandemic. Uh, if you need to terminate, and I'll start from here because it is a lower probability, we'll spend more time on the practical aspect of what will happen. If you want to terminate, or if the opposite party wants to terminate, if either of the parties want to terminate, and force major is not mentioned in the contract, then you have to take the help of the Indian Contract Act. And there are enough precedences in India by way of court judgments that force major leading to termination can only happen when there is impossibility of performance. If force major was there for a particular period and the contract can be recommenced after the period is over, for example, the lockdown is from March 24th to May uh, 13, uh, sorry, May 17th. And after May 17th, it is going to be there in some other format. There is this whole business of red zone, green zone, orange zone, etc., which also has an impact on the force major interpretation. Now, because of this, the project become unviable. It has been laid down in several court judgments that unviability of a contract is not the ground for termination. It's not. So performance cannot be escaped just because a project has become unviable. Is it impossible to perform the contract because then you take the uh, uh, shelter of section 56 that the circumstances will determine that. Let's say that a building is complete 75% and the balance 25% is going to take instead of taking three months, it's going to take another 10 months. Well, the contract still has to be performed. Now, whether there will be penalties for the balance seven months of one party or the other, whether there will be cost escalations, etc., etc., is a matter of renegotiation. The simple point is that force major implies that there has to be either impossibility or performance becomes unlawful. Uh, I don't want to get into the theoretical domain of perishable goods and non-perishable goods and commodities and so on because we have limited time. All I'm trying to say is that even if force major is not mentioned in the contract, performance cannot be excused on grounds of impossibility under section 56 of the Indian Contract Act because the courts have laid down an interpretation that if the contract is capable to be performed, then one cannot take force major as an excuse not to perform. Let us assume force major is defined in the contract. If force major is defined in the contract, then in that case, they will be going by the contract as to what it defines under force major, which is there are some contracts where if the force major persists for a continuous period of a certain number of days or years or, or months, 
the contract can be treated as terminated. In an extreme hypothetical sense, suppose the force major, let's say a red zone or a containment zone, continues for a period of 180 days. And in the contract, it is mentioned that if the force major persists, that uh, if the force major persists for 90 days, the contract stands terminated. Then in that case, this situation becomes a reality because 90 days have passed, you are in the containment zone, no activity can happen and consequently the force major can kick in. However, uh, the, the, the compensation payable by one party to the other on account of force major should also have been specified in the contract, which means that there is a force major, it dictated a certain number of days and it said that look, the contract stands terminated and if it stands terminated, this is the way the costs will be shared. Uh, for example, it can say that look, for all the work done up to this period, you will be paid for and for work and, and, and you won't be paid for any profits that you may have lost for the work not done. So there could be several permutation combinations of this. If you get into concession agreements, it becomes even more complicated because there's a, there has to be continuance of force major and you know there has to be 80 days and it has to be falling into either one of the buckets, political, non-political or uh, indirectly political. And uh, it is defined uh, as to under each event, what will be the compensation. So uh, let's, let's conclude by saying that for, for all practical purposes, one cannot be excused from performance arising out of force major. Then comes the business of compensation for costs incurred and other uh, remedies that are necessary from, just one second. Other remedies arising out of force major. These, these remedies could be costs incurred as well as costs for renegotiating the price itself. And for renegotiating the price is a separate discussion. Costs incurred, whether you will take the provision under force major or whether you take a provision under change in law, we'll come to that in a minute. As far as extension of contract period is concerned, I think that is a given, that is easier said, easier done. What is more difficult will be a revision in the contract price or and reimbursement of costs incurred. Now reimbursement of costs incurred, since the lockdown is under the Disaster Management Act, it can also be considered under change in law. So under change in law, definitely you are eligible for all the costs that you have incurred arising out of force major. Uh, arising out of the lockdown. As far as uh, uh, the revision in price is concerned, that's entirely a matter of commercial negotiation. As far as extension of time is concerned, I think it's becoming very clear that the time will be extended and, and, and one needs to uh, uh, simply write a letter and, and one uh, there need not be any litigation on that account. So, uh, the, the, uh, the conclusion that one can draw is that in renegotiating and seeking clarity on the contractual provision, uh, the extension of time is, a, is, is more or less given. The reimbursement of costs is a little discretionary, but one can claim under change in law. If, uh, there, is a, uh, if, if there is a cost aspect arising out of the force major, arising from time extension, that needs to be negotiated. 
there could be an extreme situation where there is a materially adverse change in the contract. Now that becomes a gray area again, which means that on one hand you are not excused from performance, on the other hand your costs may have gone up tremendously because of a supply chain alteration completely. Now that will involve a lot of commercial negotiation. I am not getting into the area of dispute resolution because that is not, uh, you know, that may be inevitable in several cases, but that is a separate discussion altogether. But the fact remains that uh, when you assess contractor risk very, very clearly, you will have a situation where you have to consider the renegotiation and clarity in your contractual provision. And unless there is clarity, so, so, so the situation that is now clearly emerging from people on the ground where the contracts have started is that how carries on uh, provided you're not cash starved and liquidity hamstrung because that's a separate discussion again if you have liquidity and if customers have started releasing payments the, the negotiations on the contracts are moving parallelly along with the starting up the execution or renewing the execution of the contract that's the situation on the ground because uh, we'll come to the migrant labor part a little more towards the end. Uh, with whatever labor that you have, with whatever machinery that that is available on the site, with whatever scope that is that has been agreed, uh, with negotiations moving on parallelly, the business of contracts have restarted across the board, particularly on government contracts. On private contracts, it's a far more difficult proposition because there the entire exercise of assessing the customer risk and assessing the market in which the customer is operating is playing a role in renewing the contract and the customer himself or, or, or the customers themselves in several instances have said, look, you slow down, uh, slow down your startup, let me figure out what to do now and therefore that interaction is going on. So. At the end of the day, uh, these two points are extremely important. In this whole business of, uh, of mapping out, uh, making, getting something certain out of the uncertainty, uh, these two aspects first have to be frozen, wherein you start getting your revenue stream estimates for the current year. Basically, you know, you have to get it done for the current year till 31st March or whatever your financial year is revenue stream has to get into place with certain assumptions. As I said, your uh, negotiations will be moving on parallelly and also uh, you'd be, uh, you'd be, uh, you know, uh, looking at uh, uh, getting this, this spreadsheet up and running with the revenue streams. Now, uh, different, most organizations that I have spoken to have a, uh, have a perspective of what is going to happen in the in the in the next one year, uh, next few months, uh, making all these opening assumptions, and then monitoring it on a day-to-day -day basis. So, most organizations have switched completely to a morning meeting of about an hour, hour and a half, or at least their treasury meets if it's a large organization. If it's a smaller organization, then the teams meet, and then they figure out look what's the inflow last yesterday, what's the outflow that we have planned for today and prioritizing this. And there's a lot of sophistication that has been built around the Excel sheets, uh, you know, uh, with the uh, with the uh, uh, with the anticipated cash outflow versus inflow. Uh, obviously, uh, the big challenge that you have is uh, 
the outflows are, are, are outstripping the inflows. And consequently, prioritization, starting with statutory payments where you don't have a choice, for example, wages and salaries and PF and so on, vis-a-vis -vis the moratorium that you already have on certain other statutory liabilities, uh, including the ones that were announced today. So the point is that you have to get into this day-to-day -day management of cash flows on one hand, a perspective of all the cash flows that you have uh, on the uh, for the remaining part of the year, keeping in mind all the opening assumptions around assessing customer risk as well as renegotiating. Uh, I'll just run through the questions very briefly so that you know we, we are up to up to speed on that. Right? Uh, now uh, the presentation part, I don't really have a presentation. Uh, but uh, let me see if I can put something together and send it across to Vivek or Vishal and, and they can distribute it. Okay. Uh, the first question that I see is that uh, the major challenge being faced is shortage of labor. Given the lag in project process due to lockdown, we ideally need more productive work to be done to break even the losses made. Any suggestions that could give a way through? Uh, okay, fine. So let me address the migrant labor and the labor issue here. The broad perspective that I'm getting is about 50 to 60% of labor has gone back or will go back over the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, given that, um, I wouldn't say it's a, you know, it coincides with the fact that the first quarter progress in construction mainly is rather limited, first quarter being April to June. Uh, and the gradual pickup starts only when the monsoon comes to an end by the end of uh, July, beginning of August. The period between April to July or August beginning is a lot of uh, heavy duty construction really doesn't happen in this period. The most productive months of the construction are from, uh, let's say, August uh, all the way through uh, March, April. So we technically lose two good months of construction uh, and uh, that is heavy duty construction. And, we, and, and in this month, the, the labor component is a little lower. But for erection, commissioning, and finishing in real estate, which does not require outdoor work, there you need a lot of labor, and that is where you are going to run into serious trouble. Uh, so that clearly you will need an extension of six to eight months, because the expectation is that labor will start coming back, and based on my uh, discussions, about two, three months from now, provided the fear factor, the fear factor subsides in urban areas or semi-urban areas. If the fear factor goes up, meaning, you know, there is a resurgence of cases and the curve goes up again, then we are looking at a completely different ballgame. Today, the assumption is that the curve would flatten despite the opening up and be within the capability of the medical facilities that are existing in different parts of the country where the sites are located. If you go by numbers, we have around 59 lakh crores worth of construction contracts that are going on around the country. Obviously, therefore, it's a huge chunk in terms of the multiplier and accelerator effects on the economy. And, and I think everyone more or less in the policy level knows this. We also have a, a, another scenario where the markets have to revive and, and the markets have to revive in real estate and other sectors. And till such time the market revives, there will there is there was already a significant slowdown, and that slowdown will continue. So if you put all these jigsaw puzzle pieces together, I expect that labor will come back if there is no resurgence, 
five September October, and then the last six months of the year, six seven months of the year, will be a very hectic phase. Uh, what impact it has on price? What impact it has on costs has to be worked through the way we discuss. Um, the other thing is that let me know if taking any questions. Achha, as on date, NHA has to compensate the tolling agency due to lockdown two case from so and so so and so full lockdown till date. Best way to compensate either foregoing the entire deposition of the amount in the first case and allowing the deposit to the collector. Okay, so this must. I assume this question is from the point of view of toll collection. See, uh, concession agreements which are of different different vintages uh, have different provisions during uh, force major, and uh, more or less based on today's uh, announcement also. If one has to correlate, you can divide it into two parts. Uh, one is the part where it falls into a long-term concession agreement, which is uh, 10 years, 12 years, 15, 18, 20 years, whatever is the period left. One will get an extension of six months. Uh, so if the lockdown period is three months or two months, uh, as the case may be, you get an extension period of six months. Or we have to wait for the details, but that was the headline statement made today. I'm aware of what the industry is asking, but I won't get into those details in the interest of time. For those who have very short term contracts, which is revenue assurance, uh, toll auctions, they are following a different route. They are saying that during this period, until such time we return to normalcy, and these contracts are typically for a month or three months or six months or whatever, for a restricted period, they have taken a unilateral stand yet to be approved. That look, we'll hand over whatever we collect minus the expenses. Now, uh, one has to wait and watch as to how, what dispensation will be there in that account. Having said that, let me move on to the third point, which is interpreting the consequences of the lockdown. Now, when you start interpreting it, you plot your revenue stream, whichever circumstance that you're in, whether you're in a concession environment or Let's focus mainly on the contracting environment. Concession is a separate discussion by itself. You plot your revenue stream, you plot your cost stream. And then when you come to costs, most organizations now are having a very, very hard look at their fixed costs. And that uh, you have to look at costs in a wholly different perspective. The costs that were that you thought or you assumed were always fixed were uh, you know are now no longer going to be that way so if the new normal is there in terms of uh, different aspects of interpreting the contract and getting clarification there is going to be a new normal for the cost structure as well the new normal would come as follows substantially reduced travel costs uh, which means substantially more investment in technology. A substantial reduction of in-house uh, capabilities and outsourcing them as much as you can. Uh, substantial change in site management. Uh, at the drop of a hat, I would say we would tend to take the drawings and go to the site and, and have our con discussions at the site uh, and come to a set of conclusions, take decisions and fly back to our headquarters. The same thing now has to happen uh, digitally and electronically. Uh, 
there will be a very increased level of uh, you know, uh, putting sensory cameras, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, at the site, which means a project manager technically can manage the site sitting in his office. And uh, the same logic has to be extended to customers as well, and it has already started happening. Uh, for example, in some of the sites, uh, particularly in the Middle East, now are being uh, completely coordinated from head office in India. So the point is that uh, the way we look at costs uh, has to be completely different, not to speak of reduced office space, uh, not to speak of investments in office space uh, in a restricted format. Uh, you know, you may not need such big offices if, if uh, if you distribute your work in a manner in which you operate from home as well as from office, depending on the business that you're in. So, uh, you know, for example, a lot of design work today can be carried out instead of having massive design stations, uh, workstations in the office. So I think people are going to have a complete relook at costs and bring down the costs, basically. Uh, of managing projects. Yes. Can I, can I, uh, so uh, I, so this thing was there in my mind too, that if we are looking at, uh, you know, uh, the pre-tender stages wherein the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the person who is participating in those bids, how does he tackle these problems wherein, uh, you know, uh, there is so much of, uh, uh, you know, restrictions and before bidding, he needs to uh, uh, see uh, uh, and fee and you know look at the, the the project and maybe the site. How does he tackle these problems digitally? So without uh, you know just like the drone data and all these things, this will not really solve the problem. Yeah. How so how so so you're saying that more uh, now more clarity would be there in the bidding document uh, in such a scenario for the subcontractor yes. or the contractor? Well, it won't be happening overnight. The fact is that, you know, uh, site investigation, for example, yes. uh, soil testing, for example, uh, the face-to-face uh, -face discussion with uh, pre-bid meetings, for example, if you put down all the aspects that go into a pre-bid, uh, starting from site investigation, soil uh, testing reports, uh, uh, design discussions, yes. uh, uh, then uh, uh, pre-bid queries, uh, design alterations because of pre-bid, uh, cost estimation based on the visits to vendor uh, subcontractor uh, manufacturing facilities where you need to satisfy yourself that the quality of what he's likely to supply uh, before you qualify him as giving you the input for costs. So there are a number of uh, pre-bid activities that, that we undertake conventionally, so to say. Now, so uh, those 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 pre-bid activities would be somewhere between a digital and say a, uh, so it's it's going to be an amalgamation of a lot of things. It so it is it is going to be an amalgamation of a lot of things. And finally, what you uh, sorry not finally, but uh, what you mentioned does the responsibility of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, you know the tenderer the person who's seeking the bid. Right. Yes. Does his responsibility go up? The short answer is yes. 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 Uh, will his will his uh, inputs tend to be more more far more accurate yes. uh, than they used to be? The answer is yes. So a lot of lot of lot of lot of hard work for say the tenderer or the the oh, yeah, basically the owners. Lot of lot of so more data coming in in the tender documents. 
Correct. And not only that, uh, as an extension to what you just said, the liabilities arising out of deviations from what you state in the tender Absolutely, in a that, is, that is a very important point. See, today, you know, there are three things that happen and you're, you take all the liability when you bid. For example, the pre-bid minutes are, are based on uh, refer to the tender documents, right? That's correct, the way the pre-bid minutes come. That, that will not fly. Uh, Every time, so whenever, so somebody, if, if say LNT wins an award of manufacturing a nuclear power plant, so the owners, or, or, or in a case wherein uh, the government of Telangana wants to want NHL to build something through the state, so so the government of Telangana is responsible for providing NHI most number of so every detail possible. If there is a is there a slight misinformation in the detail, then that would lead to a cost escalation at the cost of the government. Yes. So so there all that sophistication will come. It won't come immediately. It won't come overnight. Maybe it'll come over a period of six eight months, one year. One and a half, two years, because please remember, you have a big stock of ongoing contracts, which yes, you cannot yes. change, right? For example, in the 111 lakh crore of NIP that was announced, the number of ongoing contracts there is 42 lakh crores. Uh, if you take the total number of contracts that are going on in the country today, the figure being put out is 59 lakh crores. Now, Could be uh, true, true, sir. True. Please go so ahead. The remaining, remaining 60, 70 lakh crores is going to under, undergo a lot of change because you have to achieve two things. You have to achieve the fact that the tendering has to take off if growth has to come back. You have to you have to assume. I mean, sorry. You have to realize that the site uh, you know discussions will not be as detailed. The pre-bid discussions will not be as detailed. So you have to manage this contradiction, uh, and therefore the liability also clauses also need to change. Right? The variation, let, let me put it in a simpler way. The variation clauses need to be changed. Yes. The understanding of variation clauses need to be very, very clear. And they have to be more precise now. And they have to be more precise, far more precise. Yes. See, you cannot escape. A drone can't calculate the quality of the soil. It cannot. Yes. 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 Right? A drone can at best give you the lay of the land. I mean, it, uh, I don't know how much drone technology has progressed to figure out how deep they can go within the land. I, I doubt. A lot uh, of pre-true, true. Correct. Lot of pre-tender work has gone up. Yeah, yeah, it it will go. Up. And you know, but look at it as an opportunity. See, yes, look at it a, as that's an a new that's a new business coming up there. New business, whole new business coming up. Uh, design accuracy is going to be far greater. Yes. Uh, you know, the accountability for DPR is going to be in a different realm altogether, and that's that's all the new businesses that will come up. So I think you know it. It's it's it is actually you know I keep uh, I'm digressing a little bit. It is India 4.0 actually. Yeah, it is India. In fact, construction 4.0, sir, more precise. Uh, so if you see post independence, our quest our quest was for self reliance. Yes. And yes. we created terrific institutions, starting from highways to railways to uh, you know fertilizer plants to steel plants to universities to IITs to IIMs to uh, scientific laboratories and uh, electricity electricity boards. If you if you take the whole gamut of achievement between 1947 and 1980, I would say, or 1982, 83, etc., that was India 1.0. India 2.0 was you know the 1991 breakthrough of licensing of July the the press note number 10 of July 91. 
India 3.0, if you can call it 3.0, was fiscal stimulus that you received after the financial crisis. And by and large, you and I were not affected by the financial crisis, although it resulted in some financial challenges post-2014. Because a fiscal so one quick One quick question that we have from Mr. Alok Kumar. He's from NHA. And uh, uh, the question that he has that as on date, NHA has to compensate the tolling agency due to lockdown in two cases. Uh, that is from 24th of March to say 20th of April. I, yep. I just answered that. So I answered that okay. by saying that look, at the end of the day, uh, the, there are two categories of compensations that will come out from NHA. Uh, one category is for concession agreements which are long-term in nature. The other category is for short-term auctions. Now, the short-term auctions is meandering in its own way. Yeah. The long-term concessions, where the association has made a number of requests, the, uh, there are two components in the compensation as well. One component is the reimbursement of costs incurred during lockdown, and the other is uh, you know, the, the, the compensation for the extension of concession period and so on. There are demands for revenue shortfall loan and a whole lot of other things. Yes. So if you go strictly by contract, whether you will treat this as a political event or a non-political event is the key question that one has to keep in mind. Uh, uh, if if you look at it, uh, you can even interpret it as a change of law as far as for compensation is concerned. For extension of concession period, the formula that you adopt is, is going to be as laid down in the concession period, plus minus what, what relief that you want to give to the concessionary. For the other cases, the interpretation of the force major clause with respect to the uh, auctions, the toll auctions, is an entirely different subject. The association has taken a view that they will collect and they will deduct the expenses and deposit it. Now, that is one, one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is that, look, there is a contract, you follow the contract. So, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it will be a mix of contract plus what relief you want to give to the concessionaires or the toll operators as the case may be to go forward. Now, from 24, 3 to 24, and 24 till the date, the, the, the distinction is a little artificial because, you know, there are all traffic which are networked, traveling from different zones and between yeah. states. States are regulating traffic in a particular way and Zones are regulating traffic in a particular way, but in the larger context, in the larger context, you have the challenge of uh, businesses getting affected and thereby affecting traffic because of these various permutation combinations. So it is going to be a very vexed issue. Uh, one has to take a practical view of the subject and come to a conclusion. The a pure reading of the concession and a pure reading of the contract will not give satisfactory answers. And you will have litigation. That's the unfortunate part of this whole business. If you can't come to a commercial settlement, <clears throat> it will result in inevitable litigation and a waste of time for everyone. Yes. So my submission is, uh, and has always been, that try for a commercial settlement by being fair to both the parties. And then and then figure out you know, the best way forward. Uh, the, the, if you strictly apply the concession agreement or the toll contract provisions, uh, there will be challenges going forward. I mean, that's that's yes. that's my view for the time being. Right? Yes. Now, uh, moving forward, 
Uh, once having we've covered the, we've, I'll just recollect because it's important that we we keep on track. We've assessed the customer risk. We have re discussed the renegotiation clarity of contractual provisions, and we have now mapped everything and put it on the uh, on the way the business is going to look for the now and immediate. Uh, I'll add one point here. When we recommended on behalf of CII to the government uh, the steps for infrastructure development. Uh, our recommendation was that divide it into four phases. The first phase is the lockdown phase. How are we going to treat and ensure that companies do not die in this period? There, there are two aspects of assistance. One is financial assistance. The other is liquidity assistance. I think the government, RBI, banks, etc., etc., including today's discussion, is entirely focused on liquidity assistance. But no one has addressed the financial assistance as yet. And that one can say you have to go by the contract, go by the provisions, etc. But I think if there is a proactive, uh, if there is a proactive, uh, you know, uh, support over there, you can have, uh, you, you will need liquidity assistance, uh, financial assistance as well. The other challenge that we have, hello, one second. We can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, we so can hear you. Yeah. So the other challenge that you have is the fact that uh, you know you you come out of this uh, process of lockdown, and then you have to start up. That startup situ situation uh, has its own complexity. So you have to address a certain list of measures to. To uh, you know, for example, there is a huge amount of receivables, and there are a huge amount of claims. If you set up a robust mechanism to address the receivables and the and the claims, then you can start up very quickly. Then you come to the stabilization phase. So if you continue your honoring the claims and the receivables in a timely manner, the companies will stabilize, and then you come to the growth phase. And the growth phase is, you know, making sure that your projects get announced, all the pre-tendering stuff that we discussed falls into place. Now you're chugging as a regular machine. And therefore, unless you design your... Uh... Yeah, we can hear it. So unless you design your entire uh, package, address to the particular phase, with one enveloping into the other, it will be difficult to track progress. Uh, anyway, that is the recommendation that we had given to CIA. But coming back, uh, we come to the next point uh, of, uh, you know, we have discussed converting uh, variable cost to fixed cost. We come to next the next point, how do you interpret the moratoriums? The, once you have plotted the revenue stream and the costs, you come up with your pockets of deficits. If you had cash reserves, you will dip into the cash reserves. But nevertheless, you have postponed your loan repayments. What is not, what is very clear is that you can postpone your loan and interest repayments, let's say for three months, right? 
and possibly it will get extended by another three months in the next two three days if we get under this. The challenge is to service the interest on outstanding loans as well as the deferment. And the challenge is to even make sure that after the moratorium, you're going to meet the repayment. That fix you need. Now, uh, today's announcements actually relieves a lot of that pain because there is a lot of liquidity that has been announced through the 3 lakh crores and through the additional 50,000 crores and the additional 20,000 crores. So roughly 4 lakh crores is being uh, pumped into the system with credit guarantee from the government addressing the fallout of the financial impact of the COVID on the viability. But I still maintain that, and we'll wait for the details. I think, you know, the big challenge will be no one likes to live in debt. So the big uh, question that will come up is, is the capital structure of each and every enterprise now going to be altered because of the increasing debt arising out of losses due to COVID. Now, one big lesson that this whole COVID has taught us is leverage is not, is not the best thing to do in business. I think we all borrowed like crazy. We all deployed borrowed funds. We got the tax advantage of leverage and consequently even declared profits. But in a situation like this, where our debt has already hit the ceiling, adding further debt without an increase in capacity or without an increase in business is going to push us further down the hole. So we have to bring in equity. There is a good thing that was announced today, which is a 50,000 crore of equity and the 20,000 crore of subject that is available for MSMEs. I would strongly recommend that based on the business projections, to go to go, uh, you know, totally into that. Uh, I think a couple of mics need to be muted, and that is why the echo is coming. But anyway, nevertheless. So uh, the uh, I think Vivek sir, sir is your you. phone mic off, sir? My phone mic is off. Wait a second. Uh, it's just your laptop mic on. No, my phone mic is off. My phone mic is on, my laptop mic is off. I see. Okay. So this may be, you know. Uh... Please continue. Yeah, one second. One second. Okay. Is it better now? Is it better now? There, there is some some echo, sir. I think I think there is something. Yeah. But it's manageable. I think we should just go on. Uh, it's manageable, yeah. Yeah, please go ahead. Right. Uh, so, uh, so uh, coming back, so the whole business of capital structure arising out of an interpretation of the moratorium needs to be decided. The first thing is, of course, to survive. And therefore, you will take maximum benefit of the moratorium. The second, immediately thereafter, you have to figure out whether uh, the, you have to figure out whether the capital structure needs to be reviewed. So that said we move on to the next topic which is uh, basically how do we consolidate all these aspects you've got the macro aspect 
which is the pandemic and how it will play out and what are your assumptions around it. Right now, for the purpose of simplicity, we assume that the lockdown will be lifted in phases. And by June, July, you should be in the new normal. Then comes the entire aspect of external to the company. What are the aspects? There the aspects relate to customers. The aspect relates to vendors. And the markets in, they, in which they are operating, their viability and the impact it will have on your cash flows. Then we come to the internal part, which is your own costs, your own employees, and your own cash flows. And then finally, you come to look at the opportunities. And these are opportunities that are going to come up, I assume, somewhere around September, October, November. If one has been able to lick the problem between, let's say, today and September, October, you would be able to be well poised to take on the opportunities that will come up, let's say, November, December, January, August. But if you're consumed by the process of surviving, then I'm afraid, you know, you might be missing out on the opportunities. So uh, that is where it stands. And uh, consequently, uh, this whole business of converting the uncertainty into certainty, albeit with a certain set of assumptions, will begin with what we discussed and finally land up arriving at an ideal uh, cost structure, an ideal capital structure, a new normal of working with a very high degree of technology investment. Apart from renegotiating all your contracts and all that stuff, that in any case we discussed in the beginning. So to me, that is how I look at it. And opportunities, I think, you know, looking at the thrust, India has nowhere to go but to now, you know, reform substantially. Uh, I know we may be disappointed with what came out today because that did not address demand and that did not address uh, opportunities. It only addressed liquidity. But I think we'll have to give it another week or two uh, before we can form a final judgment. So I'll, I'll end here and, uh, you know, then if you have any more questions, uh, I'll, I'll be very happy to answer. So, sir, you spoke about opportunities that will be coming up in September, October, November. Um, are you expecting a huge Big Bang infrastructure thrust now to sort of uh, get us out of this, you know, economic uh, hole that we're in? Is that what you're expecting? So what I'm expecting is that, you know, uh, that nat national infrastructure pipeline has been in the works for almost about a year now right it was announced last september it got revised it got added uh, those are the projects that will get taken up so if, if one has to look for opportunities one has to look at that very closely the second issue is with the states now in the states there is going to be a and this is more subtle uh, you see, the states are going to be increasingly dependent on the center for a financial revival and a rescue package. My own humble experience is that whenever center drives projects, it gets certain guarantees from the state, uh, not legal guarantees, but certain informal guarantees uh, before they can start funding. For example, today you take today's example. 90,000 crores worth of discounts, uh, receivables are being securitized to be paid to them 
against a each state guarantee you might ask what is a state guarantee worth but the fact is that if a state defaults on its guarantee it it affects their ways and means position vis-a-vis -vis rbi so a state is in as much as we would like we would not be comfortable with the idea the states are very very responsible entities and they also operate under political compulsions on one hand but on the other hand a fairly well developed financial system in terms of uh, you know responsibilities so my belief is that the the center will be forced to borrow centrally or maybe print a little bit of money and all that we have to hear over the next three, four, five days. And that is going to drive a certain level of efficiency on state-related matters to expedite projects, which is land acquisition, uh, removal of encroachments, uh, utility shifting, uh, local approvals, all that stuff that has actually impeded the growth in projects will get completely, uh, uh, completely revamped. And consequently, yesterday when you heard the Prime Minister, the, what if one can read between the lines, it is a very high degree of adherence to law. So that is, I expect all these things to settle down by, I'm being optimistic here, I must admit, I expect all these things to settle down by October, November, provided the big assumption is there is no resurgence. Because a resurgence implies that you're back to the drawing board. That's the biggest, if you ask me, that's the biggest uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, he wants to know if the new opportunities will arise in the country will be for EPC or PPP contracts. And is there a possibility of, you know, new models emerging in the wake of this crisis? Okay. I think the new opportunities will be in EPC first. For PPP to come back into... Uh, into the forefront and by forefront i mean 30 percent which is what is envisaged in the national infrastructure pipeline as well it will take at least a year because if you see the success on epc will drive the investment in ppp in a very indirect sort of way if we find that projects are getting uh, tendered developed constructed and commissioned on time and that you can see that visibility in about a year year and a half then investment will start coming and by that time the the demand itself would have revived today you're facing challenges on fronts you're facing challenges on supply you're facing challenges on demand you're facing challenges on liquidity as well which is driving supply so Demand recovery has to happen for PPP to come. If you want me to put up a BOT project in roads today, how do I estimate traffic? So, you know, I expect that uh, in about a year's time, if there is no resurgence, a uh, traffic pattern would have got established. Normalcy would have got established. I can estimate a certain traffic. I may not estimate a fantastic growth the way I used to, but I, I would estimate a base level traffic and with a marginal growth. Other aspect of revenue, which is tariff, we don't know where inflation is going to go. We don't know where prices are going to settle. These prices and inflation and interest rates will settle when the economy comes into a regular mode. 
Hey, interest rates may continue to go down. And consequently, you know, it will be a completely different assumption. So I don't expect PPP to come in at least for a year, year and a half, provided resurgence doesn't happen. If resurgence happens, then this whole thing gets pushed by another six to eight months. Till you get again control over it and so on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably confident research wo resurgence won't happen because of two reasons. I'm sure the think tank in Delhi is opening up uh, in a big way, assuming that they can control whatever level the crisis will uh, blow up or come down. And that is the medical facilities will not get over. So uh, assuming that they can control that and they can contain it, and they can in, in, uh, substantially increase the level of testing, and by that time, the therapeutic medicine would be in place and possibly a vaccine 8, 10 months, 12 months down the line. They have taken all that into account in their economic intelligence or whatever they do in Delhi and then come up with a package like this. That is my, you know, uh, my belief. So we have a, a question here from uh, Ashut from NHAI. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, yes. And, and, uh, uh, the question that he has that uh, uh, a lot of concessionaires have a strong legal team. So in that case, so we all this while we have been only talking about the, what is the subcontractor going to face. So in 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 a a different scenario, how how should a entity like NHAI uh, guard themselves off uh, uh, from very strong uh, you know concessionaires? And so so what is what is that? Uh, so, you know, how, 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 how does the, uh, you know, a government body tackle uh, something like NHA? Sure, sure. So now let me wear the hat of uh, representing the government. <laughs> so that, you know, I come up with as fair an answer as possible. Yes, yes. If, uh, and that means I'm wearing the hat, huh? not uh, someone else. But I think you're two weeks on. Uh, I think there should be a, maybe something else which is on. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, your phone, yes. Perfect. No, we can't hear you. No, we can't hear you. You'll have to put it on again. Okay yes, we can hear you now. Okay. So, so if I was this is getting a little complicated. Yes, we can. You're, you're audible, sir. Clear. Uh, we cannot hear you, sir. We cannot hear you. It was audible just a minute, just a second. What happened? Yeah, this is perfect. We can hear you. We can hear you. Yeah, okay. So if I was in NHAI and then you know that uh, and I had to take a call, I would establish two levels. One is the contractual level, where I would treat the lockdown period as a political event because it was done by law. Uh, then I would look at the traffic 
to 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 reach back its normal levels but make sure that it does not affect the revenue risk compromise because a concessionaire has taken a revenue risk consequently i would fall back on something the way rangarajan committee worked a few years ago with a slight modification because this is an extremely stressful period and there is a very high likelihood that concessionaire will default with the banks and consequently it's an uh, event of default and consequently there is a domino effect of termination and possible litigation i would come to an agreement with the concessionaire as to what will constitute normal traffic without comp uh, being affected because of covid and there are formulas by which you can arrive at without compromising on the revenue risk which the concessionaire has taken so uh, if i can arrive at a compromise in of traffic levels and extend the concession period accordingly without impacting the revenues of the government or nhai i would sign a supplementary agreement and make sure that there is no litigation now for this as i said i qualified by saying that would be my mindset working on behalf of government of india where my objective is basically two objectives objective number 1 no cash outflow for nhai objective number 2 do not take away the revenue risk component which the concessionaire has to be responsible for keeping in mind these two objectives arrive at a formula by which i give some relief to the concessionaire and i compensate him for the costs that he has incurred during the lockdown period does it does it satisfy mr gautam i am not too sure <laughs> hello can you hear me yes sir we can hear you yeah so that that's the way i would deal with the situation i think we have time just for one more question um kamal prajapati says the minister has now given 6 months eot but no mechanism for financial implication what how would you read between the lines you know as they always say devil is in the details right now uh, see uh, as one of the panelists mentioned post the minister's uh, statement the government is the is the last resort for risk right the uh, entrepreneur today in whichever uh, situation he is in if he is affected by covid is virtually on the mat i would assume that if the extension is given for 6 months there are two other elements that need to be fixed one element is the costs that have been incurred during the lockdown period and the other is any price increase that has to happen by virtue of the uh, extension now um, by the way the minister was corrected during the presentation that this is the maximum limit of extension the actual extension will be given uh, uh, depending on the circumstances of the case so it could it's a maximum of 6 months it could be 3 months it could be 2 months so it all depends now suppose you are in the design stage of the contract and you are not on the erection commissioning construction procurement phase extension may be only for 2 months 
if your supply chain is totally disrupted on some other continent and it will take three to four months to develop an alternative supply chain then it has to be six months so it depends on case to case and uh, but uh, the principle should be you know the the entire principle of compensation in any contract is based on one fundamental principle and that fundamental principle is that you should not be better off what you would have been had this event not taken place. In other words, no one should be allowed to game the system. If one is, it's ensured that one does not game the system. Then a set of parameters emerge as to how much you need to compensate, how, how do you need to pay. Now, through CII, we had said that, look, given the extreme funds crunch and the huge debt burden that already exists, in government and all enterprises, including NHAI, etc. We had suggested that, look, there is a certain element of receivables. There is a certain element of claims. Convert all receivables into LCs, where NHAI can, can uh, you know, um, open the LCs, discount it with banks with a tenor of 6 to 8 to 12 months, Banks can use the liquidity, okay, to 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 pay the money upfront to the contractors, subcontractors, concessionaires, whatever the case may be. And NHI has to honor the LC only six, eight, twelve months down the line, by which time the economy would have uh, recovered and there could be some other borrowing program. I don't know where that suggestion went. The fact is that in situations like this, whether it's a private entity, whether it's a sole proprietor or whether it's a government, you need liquidity to manage the crisis and you need a restructuring of capital to manage growth. You have to figure out now at each entity level, whether it's at the uh, individual level, whether it's at the corporate level, whether it's at the government level, how do you alter the capital structure? How do you how do you, uh, you know, postpone your uh, repayment? And any instrument that can help you do that is, is what is going to save us. So the question is, uh, I mean, what you ask me, we had suggested all the measures to ensure that the debt doesn't go up, the cost doesn't go up. There is some cost which is inevitable, the 1,70,000 crores that you have to pay to marginal farmers, migrant labor, whatever, and that could go up to, my estimate is it will all go up to about 5 lakh crores. You can't help it. That is direct expenditure. But anything other than that, instead of being a direct hit to your PNL or the government's PNL, it needs to be leveraged a uh, we'll we'll put up the polls now, and uh, if if there is anything uh, you know, if there's a presentation that you can share, uh, you know, we can we can uh, share it with our I participants. I I'll do one thing. I may not be able to make a sophisticated presentation, but I'll yes. put down all my points on a on a on a word document or an email, and that you can share. Absolutely, and uh, we 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 still have uh, you know roughly around seven participants so thank you so much guys uh, for for uh, you know joining us and uh, this this thank you thank you for uh, making this an event uh, thanks a lot we'll we'll share uh, everything uh, you know uh, mr venkatesh has to uh, give away and uh, you can download from 
from one of the you know uh, google drives or you know we'll share it with you thanks a lot so much thank you thank you for attending thank you. thanks a lot thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. And sorry for this mix up on the audio video, etc. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir.